Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the event COVID-19 in Latin America, tackling healthcare and other impacts for vulnerable migrant populations. Um, it is no secret that we're in the middle of a global pandemic, um, and it has particularly uh, different effects for different populations and in different parts of the world. Um, in Latin America, this is now becoming a major crisis in a number of countries, including Colombia, as well as many other countries in Latin America, as it is in the United States and Europe and China and South Korea and elsewhere. Um, it has uneven impacts on migrants, and uh, we wanted to look today at Colombia because Colombia has one of the largest forced migration flows in the world, um, 1.8 million or many more perhaps Venezuelans who have moved into Colombia most in the past three or four years. Um, a very large number and, and presenting some unique challenges that need to be addressed, um, challenges that have to do with the vulnerability of, of migrants themselves, their access to health care, their access to housing, their access to employment during a time of crisis. Um, also questions around the closure of the border and how this affects flows um, and redirects them. And also questions of what can happen in Venezuela itself where the healthcare system is quite precarious and what happens if the epidemic takes off. We are fortunate to have really extraordinary panelists today who I will introduce in a moment, and I mean truly extraordinary panelists. Um, so thank you to the four of you for taking time out of very busy schedules uh, to, to make time for this, this uh, webinar today. We also have an extraordinary group of, of participants, by the way, so thank you for those of us that have joined from, from U.S. government agencies, from the U.S. Congress, from Canadian government, European governments, Latin American governments, including especially the Colombian government, um, people from NGOs, from foundations, from the American Development Bank and the World Bank, uh, OECD, we have colleagues uh, joining us from uh, journalism and, and even the private sector. So, and, and I probably left a few of you off, but just an extraordinary analyst and just a great turnout of people joining us as well to listen and to be part of the conversation. Um, I will introduce, I also, before I introduce them, let me uh, thank Diego Chavez, who played a great role in putting this together, as well as Andrea Tanco. Um, from MPI and Lisa Dixon, who have been really the three people that have put together today's event. Thank you, Diego, Andrea, and Lisa. Um, we are, uh, if you have problems accessing the webinar, you can contact us at events at migrationpolicy.org or call us at 202-266-1929 in Washington, D.C. There will not be a voice Q&A, question and answer period, but there will be a question and answer period. The way you do it is you, you either use the function on the right of your webinar panel in WebEx and you type in your question, you can do that anytime, you don't have to wait till the end. You can write to events at migrationpolicy.org and we'll get your question as well. Or you can tweet at us, um, you know, tweet at migrationpolicy uh, or uh, hashtag MPI Discuss. Audio from today's webinar will be available at the Migration Policy website, www.migrationpolicy.org slash events. And you can also uh, check out some of our related resources migrationpolicy.org slash coronavirus, as well as our Latin American and Caribbean migration portal, www.migrationportal.org. We have a whole portal that looks at Latin America and the Caribbean responses to migration, especially the Venezuelan uh, migration crisis. And, uh, and there's a lot of resources there on coronavirus and what countries like Colombia are doing at this moment. So let me um, just briefly introduce our, our panelists. Um, they are, uh, I mean, again, extraordinary group. I'm Ivan Dario Gonzalez Ortiz. Ivan was, uh, is a medical doctor who was until very recently, until only a few weeks ago, um, the Vice Minister of Health, and he was also the Acting Minister of Health for a number of months, um, and is a, but is a you know, public health specialist who served in senior roles in a number of international and national organizations in Colombia, 
Um, and great to have you here, Ivan. You, you, uh, Dr. Gonzalez, you were part of the initial response to the coronavirus, so you know this both as an analyst but also from within as, as planning the response. Um, Dr. Julian Alfredo Fernandez, also a medical doctor, um, professor of public health at the Universidad del, Nor del Norte in Barranquilla, so seeing this from Barranquilla, but also the author of a number of studies that look broadly at public health issues regarding migrants, Venezuelan migrants around Colombia. And, and so, Julian, great to have you with us, uh, Dr. Fernandez. Um, Gladys San Miguel served as Secretary of Social Integration of Bogota, of the city of Bogota. She was responsible for efforts to deal with the, the growing number of, of Venezuelans arriving in Bogota, uh, one in five or one in four Venezuelan migrants live in, in Bogota, and so she was the person in charge of, of in the past, uh, municipal government. Um, in responding to this, she has a long and distinguished career in both the public and private sector, um, and she will uh, uh, be able to speak to how this looks very much at a local level in, in the city of Bogota right now. And Christian Kruger, our good friend, Christian, good to have you here, um, director until recently of Migración Colombia, someone for, served for more than six years, someone distinguished, um, well, distinguished career in both the public and private sector, now the general director and partner of a major consulting firm in Colombia, but also someone who, who led the response of uh, the Colombian government to, to this migration over the past few years, including many of the ambitious measures that the Colombian government has taken to regularize migrants and to try and figure out how to manage a very difficult border with Venezuela. Um, so great to have all four of you here. And with that, let us go ahead and dive in. Um, uh, um, let us go ahead and start. My computer is giving me strange signals, but we'll go ahead and start with Dr. Ivan Dario Gonzalez Ortiz. Um, Ivan, um, please uh, tell us how this looks. And, and by the way, we have a number of speakers, so we're going to hold everyone to seven minutes. I apologize for that because we have a richness of knowledge here that you could each speak for a half hour. But in the interest of time, let's open it up to seven minutes apiece, and then we're going to go to questions and answers and come back to all of you. So, um, Vice Minister. Thank you very much, Andrew, and good morning to everybody. Good morning to the other panelists. It's a pleasure being here and sharing some of our knowledge of the situation in order to help Colombia's government, both national government and territorial governments, and of course, uh, a response that must be centered in the migrants. I have three reflections for the next seven minutes. First, I just want to share some of the data we have uh, of the studies of the Venezuelan health system. There is a shortage of medicines that rounds about 88%. 90% of the x-ray and tomography services are not operational. Patients with chronic diseases, cancer, kidney failure, or diabetes are not having access to medicines that they need in a regularly basis. Infant mortality rate has increased by at least 30%. And there are numerous health professionals that have left the country. There's a data from PAHO that indicates that about one-third of the 66,000 doctors who were registered in 2014 have already left the country. There's a lack of surgical material of around 79%, 50 
93% of the operating rooms are not usable. In terms of logistics, there are a lot of failures in water supply, electricity supply, and others. 70% of the emergency rooms uh, are working in an intermittent form and have a lot of failures. And we have an increased maternal mortality by 65%. So I just wanted to start by telling this because in the last three years, and especially since March, March uh, 2018, uh, Colombia has been receiving a lot of migrants from Venezuela. We are sure that there are plenty of reasons uh, that explain migration, but we are almost sure that the health system response is one of the push forces that are uh, moving migration towards Colombia. In terms of facts, and here comes my second reflection about migration, we have around 1.7 million migrants living in Colombia. 50% are in a regular condition and 50% are not. I'm sure Dr. Kruger is going to get deeper in those facts. We have around 5, 4.9 or 5 million people uh, that move through the border in and out. That's a lot of people that come to receive uh, health services, but also they, have, they come to buy uh, things they need or to take other services. So uh, that's a lot of people in and out every day, and it adds around 5 million people. And we have around 800,000 8, people that are moving around Colombia, going to the south of the country to meet the border of Ecuador or Peru in order to move down into South America. So when you add the three numbers I gave you, 1.7, 800,000, and almost 5 million of migrants, you have a pressure in our health system that goes around 7 million people in the last two and a half years, and that's a lot of people. Just as a matter of context, Bogota is a city that has around 8 million people, so what we are uh, talking is that in the last two years, we have been pressing our health system in, with almost another Bogota. We have two types of response, a conjunctural response that takes care of migrants with acute health conditions in the emergency rooms, some actions of public health, especially vaccination. We always uh, have been thinking that if we make a lot of effort in vaccination, we are protecting not only the migrants, but also uh, the Colombian people. That was the reason why we launched last October the unified vaccination card with around 12 more countries in the region. In third place, we have a lot of uh, cooperation, international cooperation. I want to uh, uh, make an uh, uh, acknowledgement to 
PAHO that has been working with Colombia in many ways, but there are more, more than 70 organizations working with us in different parts of the region in Colombia. And then we have like different territorial response. All of that conjunctural response has a lot of pressure in terms of financial resources because we don't have uh, how to pay hospitals on a regular basis. So each month we are spending around $5 million in the actions in health in hospitals and we are only able to pay around $2 million. So there's a big uh, deficit in the balance between what we are expanding and what we are really being able to pay. Finally, we have in this, in this second uh, idea, we have uh, been shifting to a more structural response where the main stream of our action must be insurance. Colombia has a universal coverage, around 96% of our population has a good uh, insurance coverage, but migrants don't. We, we have around 1.7 of them living here, and we only have around 200,000 affiliated to the insurance, uh, mandatory insurance health uh, system. So we have to enhance insurance that will allow us to reallocate resources to public health. We also have to make stronger uh, health services in order to respond. So I'm going to make one example is in Cúcuta, a border, the most important border uh, with Venezuela in terms of migration. We have the same hospital we had 15, five years before. So we have to make stronger emergency care rooms and increase the uh, capacity of our health services in different places. And we also have to enhance cooperation and focalize it into more prioritary uh, elements of interest for Colombia. To end my second idea, I want to just make a statement about mental health and vulnerability of the migrants, as well as the xenophobia or xenophobia that has been growing between Colombians in different parts. And my third and last idea for these seven minutes, I think I'm around seven minutes now, is that I understand the Colombian government has to close the border uh, anyway. And I know Christian is going to get deeper in this also, but uh, estimates indicate that we are around 3,000 to 4,000 people crossing the border, even though the border is closed. They, they are closing it in an illegal manner. So that makes a lot of challenges for our epidemiologic and health response. They maintain their vulnerability structural conditions, both the ones that are coming in and the 1.7 million that live already in Colombia. Most of them are not, do not have an insurance mandatory health plan. So we are facing two different problems. The first one is that they're so poor, most of them, that we don't have spaces for isolation in cases that are mild or even uh, low symptomatic. So people are 
in the streets. Many of them are living in places where they gather, but living together a lot of people. And so that's a very, very strong uh, preoccupation we have. On the second hand, as all the countries, we are preparing our hospitals and our intensive care units. And first, we are not going to have enough. And second, we are not going to have resources for the payment of the health services for migrants. The two items I have just mentioned are increasing both the vulnerability and the xenophobia. So I think we have a lot of challenges and thank you again, Andrew and team for opening this space in order to structure ideas to help migrants in Colombia to respond to this profound human crisis. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Ivan. That was great, a great way to open. And I'm gonna to turn to Julian Alfredo Fernandez. Dr. Fernandez. Okay, um, thank you for having me. I will try to provide an academic point of view. Uh, Dr. Ivan explained a lot, so I'm gonna try to give uh, some different ideas. First of all, we have to understand that migrants are a very diverse group of people, as you know. Therefore, no, not all migrants um, have the same health needs, nor the same vulnerabilities. As I said, uh, they have uh, many different uh, considering socioeconomic factors, so the, the health needs are different. For instance, in the case of Colombia, uh, as you know, migrant, uh, migrants are a mixed migratory flu that includes regular and irregular migrants, but also we have cross-border indigenous, uh, for example, La Guajira, also, uh, we can classify them as refugees and economic migrants, but we can classify the migrants as well in migrants in transit, pendular, and uh, some of them with the intention of, of staying in Colombia. And it's the same in other countries as Mexico, uh, in, uh, where you can find different kinds of migrants. So, the challenge for the healthcare systems depends on the kind of, uh, of migrants that we are talking about. Most of the healthcare systems are focused in, in migrants with the intention of staying, uh, but not uh, uh, addressed to the migrants in transit, for example. Also, for many, uh, sorry, for many migrants, economic life depends on the border. Uh, for example, many migrants enter Colombia to look for medical supplies and food. So I can expect that the flu of people seeking for medical supplies or uh, medical attention will increase, even though the border is closed. Uh, I have to say that Colombia has made a great effort. Uh, Colombia, as Dr. Uh, Ivan uh, knows very well, has a health sector response plan to the migratory phenomenon. Colombia has, has had several waves of regularization for migrants, as maybe Christian uh, are going to explain. Although, currently, more than one million of migrants are irregular. So, Colombia also offered complementary actions with the support of the International Cooperation for the Irregular uh, Migrants. And I can say that it's a model for other countries. Uh, uh, but our concern 
is mainly the irregular migrants. In the case of Colombia, irregular migrants have the right to emergency care, care in case of evidence of interest in public health and medical attention for a special population as, pre as pregnant women. Uh, in Mexico, it's different. The reform of the health system is not uh, yet clear. Before that, they could access to the healthcare insurance for, uh, for three months. <coughs> However, we are concerned about the case of migrants in Latin America with an em emphasis on the irregular migrants. Uh, why? Uh, first, they know little the operation structure and access routes to the health system. Second, they could be afraid to consult in case of need. This happened more in countries uh, where migration status is uh, penalized. It's not the case of Colombia, as you know. Three, migrants who cross irregularly can be a challenge for epidemiological sur uh, surveillance. Four, there is a social stigma uh, where they, they are mistaken considered as a source of, of infection. We have to remember that the relevant epidemiological variable is, uh, how you say, provenance, not nationality. Five, they, do, they don't have social security. Uh, although in the context of this crisis, we hope that uh, this is not going to be a, a barrier uh, to, to the healthcare systems. Uh, six, migrants, uh, even if they are mostly young, they have other vulnerabilities. Uh, Dr. Ivan mentioned some of them, low income, overcrowding. Uh, they are uh, also who are strict, uh, the, uh, what you say, workers, for uh, informal workers. And uh, finally, uh, oh, some migrant women have a greater vulnerability, greater burden and the impact of mitigation uh, measures such as gender-based violence and mental health problems. So, as you know, Colombia and other Latin American countries have closed their, their land borders in order to avoid recruits uh, at the uh, binational crossing, at the entry of people with the virus. But I think that this decision will not interrupt the passage through the multiple, I don't, I don't know how to just say, trocha, okay, informal crossing sites that exist along the borders. And maybe it could be increased the risk for migrants with a negative impact of their health and may have uh, major social problems. We understand that it's so difficult, uh, but uh, we have many questions. Um, uh, closing airports and tourist ports is not the same as closing a porous border that is thousands of kilometers long where thousands of vulnerable people cross via uh, 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 trochas that, that have not been able to be controlled ever since the migra migratory flow uh, began. So the first concern that I see is the feasibility and sustainability of this decision. It's possible to control crossing at the border. If the answer is yes, then at what human cost? Militarization of borders has been shown to increase the risk uh, to, to migrants, and, and it seems rational to think that uh, migrants will stop arriving in Colombia during the crisis. So many do so out of human and economic need. If this answer is not, and they can control the border, how will epidemiological surveillance of these migrants be conducted? How will the rights of migrants be protected? 
I say that, but uh, I also have to say that I have studied the topic with some experts inside the government, and I know that they are uh, addressing uh, some international recommendations. But I have to say something. If the migrants decide to stay in Venezuela, I am sure that they will have to face the pandemic in a country whose health system has collapsed with no supplies or technical capacity, where they will have a higher probability of dying if they have become infected. Colombia maybe will there be wait until it, it feels safe to reopen its borders. And along the way, thousands of people could die, not only from the virus, but also from the risks associated with crossing as well as suffer as a result of family separation, a lack of food, supplies, and maize. I'm gonna finish in one minute. So, what recommendation could be then proposed when a country with limited uh, resources, such as Colombia, has to respond to the needs of vulnerable population like the members of the Venezuelan mixed migrant groups? Uh, I'm going to mention five arguments to finish, very uh, uh, simple, but I have to say that uh, most of them, uh, according uh, to what I have talked with, uh, some uh, people in, inside the government, as Felipe Muñoz, and according to the new documents, I know that they are trying to implement these recommendations. First, follow the uh, guidance of the World Health Organizations, uh, reduce human-to-human -human transmission, identify, isolate, and care for patients early. We have to pro provide migrants with the means to uh, achieve social distancing. I am, uh, we, we are worried about the access to the healthcare system for migrants, so I propose that we implement information and education and communication strategies in the cycle of health, care routes, personal protection recommendations, and access routes to the health systems. Finally, I think that it's great that we started a binational uh, dialogue between Colombia and Venezuela. Uh, because we have to understand this problem uh, as a binational problem. I think that I don't have uh, more time, but uh, that is the main ideas so far. Thank you, Julian. That was great. Really appreciate it. Um, and uh, a reminder that those who want to ask questions, you can type your questions into the, uh, uh, into the box to your right on the application. You can also send us questions at events at migrationpolicy.org, or you can tweet at us at Migration Policy. Um, with that, let me turn it over to Gladys San Miguel. Um, and Gladys, you have uh, a deep engagement in Bogotá on these issues and have, have looked at this nationally as well. Um, how are you seeing this? Well, hello to the audience and to my fellow companions, and thank you, Andrew, for this invitation. I will try to resume uh, briefly, what happened in, in, in Bogota. Uh, we have, as all of you said, uh, 1,700,000 uh, 1, migrants in Colombia, and we have uh, 357,000 in Bogota. That's 24% of the migration in Colombia living in Bogota. And we have more migrants in Bogota than the, some countries like Brazil, Argentina, and Panama. I would like to audience to understand that uh, what we deal with is like, imagine New Orleans moving to your city uh, in a period of three years. That is what happened in Bogota. 
a population like New Orleans move to our city. Uh, and so we have the challenge to, de to, to design uh, a line of work, a frame of work, and our major, Alcalde Enrique Peñalosa, last administration until uh, December um, 31, a couple of months ago, decided um, during uh, 2018 that we needed to open, 2017, I mean, open all the services that we had in, in, in Bogota to this vulnerable community. And so uh, from the Secretary of Health, they began to take care of the migrants, uh, Secretary of Education, uh, everyone began to take care of this vulnerable people arriving in, in, in Bogota. But by 2018, uh, he saw that we needed to take a, a, a kind of a course of action uh, specific for migrants. So we developed a line in which we received the migrants at the transport terminal, which is the main point uh, through which they come to, to Bogota. Uh, and with the help of uh, ILM and the UN, we helped them move through the country and through to South America. If they decided that they wanted or needed to stay in Bogota to reunite with the family or something, we uh, created um, the SIAM, El Centro de Atención al Migrante. There we have lawyers, uh, psychologists, um, social workers, helping them get uh, to know the city and understanding what they were dealing with. And we helped them find schools and we gave them, we had shelter, uh, 50 uh, a day, which is very low for the migration that we have, but it, it was something and to take care um, of pregnant women and, and small children uh, during the night. They could stay there for a maximum of five days and that we would talk to the Red Cross and our allies to help them move through the, through the city. Uh, and uh, we um, had also been created sent a center for these kids living in the streets. We began to have uh, families begging uh, for money and for food in the streets. So we created the Centro Abrazac, in which we uh, took care of the kids uh, so that they didn't have to be in the streets and parents could go out to look for a daily meal. 50% uh, of Colombians have informal jobs, but 90% of migrants live out of informality. Informality is selling candy, uh, asking for money, uh, doing recycle, things that they need to do on the street. Um, and so, so that they can pay for a night, we took care of those kids so that they could go outside without an excuse of having the kids exposed to dangers and, and, and weather uh, outside um, diseases. Uh, we had kids with the very high respiratory um, diseases. And so we, we created um, a system uh, to provide health and, and care uh, for the migrants. Uh, last administration invested $50 million in taking care of these vulnerable people. But imagine what we're dealing with now. Uh, if we had uh, vulnerable people before uh, these, uh, this virus, imagine what these people is living now. To the um, vulnerability in which they were, you have to uh, 
this medical situation. They need to be quarantined. They cannot go out in the street, look for these daily uh, resources and, uh, and to take care of their, their family. They don't have money to pay, not even for a night, and they don't have anything to eat. So I think the emergency uh, has grown not only from uh, the necessities, the social necessities, but only, but also for uh, health necessities. The health system, as uh, they said before, is open to migrants in uh, a legal, with a, with a regular status, which is half of them. Those who have an irregular status can only go if there's an emergency. And now everything could be almost an, an emergency. So there we have a very, very big challenge. Now, um, facing this, this virus is, uh, we need to take an overall look. We have to see them as people that are in our city and in our country. We need to stop seeing the difference into vulnerable people uh, from Colombia or vulnerable people from, uh, from Venezuela. I think this is only vulnerable people because the virus doesn't look for flags or passports. The virus attacks everyone. And so we need to take care of this population. And here's a number that I would like to take into account, which is we have uh, 36,000 kids in our public system, in our schools. And we have uh, 290,000 kids in schools all around the country. We have around 5,000 kids born from Venezuelan families, which are now Colombian. So I think talking about migrants and and Colombians, it's something that should be put aside because this is vulnerable people that we need to take care of, um, especially with, with the virus, because we need to take care of all the population. The thing is, we cannot do this alone. $50 million in, million in Bogota is a lot of money. And with this crisis, I think that would be, we will need the same amount of money or even or even more. This is a time to call for solidarity to the international community. We have been taking care of migrants the best uh, with, uh, with can, but we cannot do this alone. We need the international community to realize that this is one of the highest migrations uh, in history and that Colombia has been very generous, but uh, we cannot keep doing these, these alone. So, many reflections here um, we need to see vulnerable people as for the vulnerability not because of their nationality uh, we need uh, help from the international community i know that they're doing very big efforts right now here at the country uh, they're changing uh, the way they they help because we have our common kitchen flows and i know they're changing uh, these help into cash uh, help um, mostly in the border uh, to give them some money to find where to sleep and, and, and what to eat. But um, I think that, that uh, we have to understand that we need to leave uh, xenophobia on the side. This, this is adding one more problem to, to problems that we have. And if we have participants from the international community that can help Colombia, please realize that we cannot do this alone. Thank you, Gladys.
Um, that was uh, fabulous, and, and I'd like to just reinforce something you said here, which is um, it is tempting to think about migrants as a separate group, and they do certainly have some unique uh, vulnerabilities and some unique advantages also. Um, but there are, but but in reality, they are actually, this is a moment where you could think societies either come together or they come apart. And there is a real opportunity to think that Venezuelans actually aren't that much different, vulnerable Venezuelan migrants aren't that much different than, than vulnerable Colombian migrants, uh, or Colombian uh, citizens. In fact, many are intermarried, um, but there's also enormous similarities. And in fact, people are in many of the same situations as other people like them who live in the same neighborhood, who work in the same jobs, who, who live in the same housing. So thank you. Um, hopefully our societies learn common cause in the time of, of, of crisis and, and not coming apart. Christian Kruger, um, Christian is going to speak in Spanish, and I'm going to translate. So I think you probably, Christian, tú vas a hablar en español. Yo voy a ir traduciendo. Yo creo que um, tres, cuatro minutos y, y avanzamos. Perfecto. Andrew, thanks for the invitation. Uh, good morning to the audience and the panelists. Uh, on, on, and yes, I prefer speaking in, in Spanish, okay? Yes, excellent. Okay. Eh, bueno, primero, pues el escenario eh, de Diego, que, que mencionaron Diego, eh, perdón, Diego, no, Gladys, Iván y Julián, pues es bastante, digamos, eh, eh, concreto, han mencionado ideas muy importantes eh, sobre la situación de la migración desde Venezuela. Eh, primero, sí, como muy bien lo mencionó Iván, ya son más de 1.770.000 migrantes venezolanos que están en Colombia. Eh, como se ha mencionado, gran parte de ellos se encuentran en la frontera, especialmente norte de Santander y como lo mencionó Gladys, en Bogotá una gran parte, eh, un poco más de la mitad están irregulares y otra parte están en condición regular. Eh, la política del gobierno eh, nacional eh, ha sido de flexibilización migratoria, es decir, eh, regularizar esta población que aporten al, al desarrollo, que aporten al crecimiento de nuestro país. Es preferible tener una población extranjera identificada que tener una población extranjera sin identificar porque pues, la generación de política migratoria es muy compleja. Eh, si quieres, Andrew, no sé si sigo o tú, sí. o tú vas traduciendo. No, yo lo traduzco. Uh, Christian uh, Kruger tells us there are you know, over 1.7 uh, million Venezuelans um, in Colombia that, that many are concentrated in the border area, especially in Norte de Santander. Um, department, but also in Bogotá, as we've heard from Gladys, just over half now, or a little over half, are in irregular situations, the others are in regular situations, and the policy of the government has been trying to regularize as many as possible, and to see this, uh, uh, the migrants, as a contribution to the country, and that it is, in fact, better if you can identify who's in the country, and that generates much better policy outcomes. Perfect. Gracias. Uh, um... Diariamente, cuando estaba abierta la frontera, ingresaban en promedio unos eh, 40.000 venezolanos diarios. Entraban y, sa y salían. Esa migración pendular que venía a la frontera, compraba unos productos, muchos eran también atendidos en temas de salud, muchos estudian también en colegios en nuestro país, en Colombia, y se regresan a Venezuela. Y eran más o menos eh, 40.000 los que hacían esa, esa actividad diariamente. 
de esos 40 mil se, qued, se quedan en promedio o se quedaban cuando estaba abierta la frontera eh, unos 2 mil venezolanos diarios en nuestro país. Una cifra bien importante. Entonces, eh, y eso derivado de la política, de las medidas que ha implementado la dictadura de Maduro eh, en la expulsión de eh, la población de su país. Es claro y evidente que cuando un país no produce, eh, no tiene actividad económica importante, pues prefiere tener menos población en su país eh, para esa pequeña población poderla alimentar mejor con los pocos recursos que tiene. Presidente, note that there were about 40,000 before coronavirus, about 40,000 Venezuelans that entered Colombia every day. Um, some of them came to study, some of them came to work, some of them came to buy things, but about 2,000 a day stayed, which is a staggering number, by the way, if you, if you start to multiply. So about 2,000 a day stayed. Um, that this has been a policy of the dictatorship in Venezuela to actually let people go, because if you don't have uh, production and you don't have productivity, then you are better off having fewer people in the country. Yes. Eh, también es evidente, y creo que para nadie es un secreto, la precariedad del sistema de salud. Eh, simplemente para que la audiencia tenga una idea, en el año 2016, Colombia atendió un poco más, y esta cifra la conoce muy bien también, Iván, eh, se atendieron un poco más de 4.200 casos de urgencias de venezolanos en nuestro país, un poco más de 4.200. El año pasado, año 2019, al 31 de diciembre, cerramos con casi 270.000 atenciones solo de urgencias, solo de urgencias de eh, población venezolana. Es evidente y claro, se establece con cifras el crecimiento eh, y la crisis que en materia de salud vive Venezuela. ¿Esto qué va a generar? Esto va a generar, y ahora que tenemos el coronavirus, eh, pues que evidentemente Venezuela, ningún país del mundo está, está preparado para atender una situación de un momento a otro como la que estamos viviendo. Pero, pues menos Venezuela. Venezuela eh, es un país que antes de eh, el coronavirus ya tenía una situación muy compleja en materia de salud y eh, pues lo que vamos a encontrar es que esas cifras que les he mencionado, las de 2.000 personas diarias, las de 40.000 que hacen un flujo pendular permanentemente, se van a incrementar. Si bien es cierto, la frontera está cerrada, los siete puntos de control fronterizo en esos 2.219 kilómetros de frontera que hay con Venezuela, se encuentran cerrados, pues también es cierto que nuestras fronteras, no solamente las colombianas, sino a nivel mundial, las fronteras eh, son porosas cuando hay necesidades. Y esto obviamente va a traer mayores retos para las autoridades eh, colombianas, no solamente las migratorias, sino todas las autoridades, salud, educación, trabajo, seguridad, etcétera, también a la misma población en nuestro país, para poder atender de manera eficiente, de manera adecuada a esta población. No podemos atender una población y la otra no. Para poder superar este, esta situación del coronavirus, tenemos que atender toda la población indiferentemente de su condición eh, de nacionalidad, si es extranjero o nacional. There's an incredible precariousness in the um, health system in Venezuela. In 2016, 4,200 Venezuelans were taken care of in emergency rooms in Colombia. By 2019, it was 270,000. That tells you the growth of, of the healthcare crisis in Venezuela. It is uh, particularly severe, um, and uh, there is no way of, of any country to be able to deal with, with the coronavirus. But at this moment, 
the kind of healthcare crisis that may be coming out of Venezuela, it is hard to imagine, and that may be something that Colombia has to deal with. Eh, la situación de Venezuela no es responsabilidad de, eh, y ya para finalizar con esta idea, para, para ver si tienen algunas inquietudes o preguntas en la audiencia, eh, pero quisiera finalizar con esta, con esta idea. Y la situación que está viviendo Venezuela, eh, pues no es responsabilidad de, de Colombia, no es responsabilidad tampoco ni de Ecuador, ni de los países centroamericanos, ni de los países suramericanos. Básicamente la situación de Venezuela es responsabilidad propia de eh, su población, de, 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 de su país. Eh, no obstante, pues el mayor receptor de migración eh, actualmente es el segundo eh, fenómeno más grande que existe eh, en materia de cifras y, y de seguir así las cifras, pues vamos a superar la situación de Siria. Eh, y este es un llamado a la comunidad internacional para eh, que apoyen esta situación eh, y que entiendan que si Colombia los puede apoyar, los puede atender, pues esta migración va a, ser, eh, va a permanecer en nuestro país y no va a continuar a otros países. Entonces, es una reflexión para que los demás países eh, ayuden a Colombia, ayuden a atender esta migración que lo está haciendo de manera generosa el gobierno colombiano. Eh, y para eso hay muchas, muchas necesidades en materia de salud, pues son muchísimas, Iván eh, y Julián también han, han mencionado algunas. En materia de migración eh, también son muy importantes, por ejemplo, ahora con el coronavirus, eh, el día que se vuelva a abrir la frontera, poner eh, temperatura de todas las personas que ingresen, entren, eh, que ingresen y salgan de nuestro país, eh, poner atenciones, puntos de atención, incrementar los puntos de atención en, eh, en la frontera. Hoy tenemos siete para una frontera de más de 2.000 kilómetros. Es muy poco seguir poniendo puntos de atención, no para evitar que ingresen, sino para ordenar ese proceso migratorio. Simplemente lo que busca, lo que buscamos todos los países es que eh, la migración se dé en el marco de un proceso ordenado, de un proceso regular y de un proceso seguro para la población receptora, pero también para la población eh, que está llegando a nuestro país. Entonces, esos tres pilares son fundamentales para poder atender estos fenómenos. Y bueno, ahora, eh, además de buscar incorporar la población que está llegando a nuestro país, incorporarla en la vida productiva, pues ahora tenemos el reto del coronavirus, que estoy seguro que las cifras que maneja eh, la dictadura de Venezuela, eh, pues evidentemente son subregistros, eh, porque pues no tienen la capacidad para adelantar las pruebas y para atender a toda esta población. Y muchas gracias, Andrew, por tu traducción nuevamente. Gracias, Cristian. I'm not going to be able to do full justice to everything you just said, Christian. And actually, my program kicked me out for a minute as well. But let me just say that, that Christian put a huge emphasis. I'm hoping many of you speak Spanish. Um, Christian put a huge emphasis on the fact that this is a crisis not just for Colombia but for the world because Colombia may in fact be dealing with, with the meltdown of the health system and, and an epidemic in Venezuela and that is not merely a Colombian issue but a, but a global issue um, and, a, and an issue for the global community. Secondly, that, um, that when the border goes back to normal, it's going to be very important to have a um, – to think about how to deal with the points of connection Um, having more than seven border crossings, how to do temperature checks.
I think um, we may have lost. Oh, Andrew? Yes. Yes. Go ahead. Can you still hear me? Yes. Online now. Please proceed with the webinar. Okay, great. We're going to go ahead. We have about 10 minutes for questions and answers. I'm going to ask the questions that have come in, um, in more or less in the order that we receive them. We may not get to everything, unfortunately, and I apologize for that. Um, we will try and answer some of you afterwards um, to the best of our ability in, uh, from MPI. Um, again, for those that want to ask questions, use the easiest way is to use the, um, the app that you have to the right or to send us questions to events at migrationpolicy.org. Um, for Yvonne, now I'm going to ask each of you the questions and then Lisa can, can give, the, work, give the, uh, the microphone to each of you in turn. Um, Yvonne, what is the, uh, who is responsible for healthcare in Colombia? And, and others may want to answer that too. Is it the national government? Is it the local government? This is a question raised by the mayor of Bogota uh, to today um, or yesterday in a, some comments she made. And so, you know, how does this distribute um, responsibility? Um, and what is, if you could repeat again, the name of the, the healthcare card that is international that you worked on. Um, Ivan, what do you do about um, those Venezuelans that are migrating across Colombia that are in transit? Um, the, uh, for, um, for Julian, um, what, well, again, what are the resources to protect those that are in transit as well? Um, for Ivan and for Julian, is there any way of trying to engage medical professionals from Venezuela, doctors, nurses, and others? In the Colombian healthcare system, is there a way to do this? Um, and thinking of them as human capital. So, the Christian talked about that this is also going to be a benefit to Colombia. So, how do you employ people who have medical training? Um, and finally, Christian effects of, and that's something actually that I think Gladys might want to weigh in on, particularly because this is a municipal issue as well, how to get people as part of the response, the coronavirus response. And finally, Christian, any effects that you see of, of the hardening of U.S. policy towards Venezuela on how Colombia and Venezuela, how Colombia is able to deal with Venezuela around coronavirus. Does this help? Does this hurt? What is the politics of this? And with that, let's, let's go back in the same order we started. So, Ivan. Thanks, Andrew. I'm not sure of the second question, the one of the migrants in transit, but I'm going to start uh, answering uh, who is responsible for the healthcare system. Hi, I think we're having trouble Hello. with uh, Yvonne's line, so if we could just go ahead. Julian, could you go ahead and address the question that Andrew set forth for you? Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, we have a study in the response of the healthcare system in Colombia. Um, we have to know that uh, most of the burden of the uh, medical attention is given for the uh, uh, local go uh, governments, of course. And um, voy a explicar mejor esto en, en, en español y me, me ayudan con la traducción para no irme a equivocar. Nosotros hicimos un estudio con la Organización Internacional para las Migraciones que corrobora lo que el gobierno nacional ya sabe y es que mucha de la carga financiera y mucha de la carga asistencial ha recaído en los hospitales locales eh, con gran parte, con un adeudo de, de dinero eh, de parte del gobierno nacional y eso es algo que, que, que lo sabemos. Afortunadamente, el gobierno creo que ha hecho un modelo internacional basado en la cooperación internacional a través de acciones complementarias. Y pues el doctor Iván, lamentablemente, 
se le fue el sonido porque le explicaría esto mejor que nadie, pero es importante reconocer que gran parte de la carga ha recaído sobre eh, también los gobiernos locales, particularmente municipios de frontera y eh, que en algunos casos ha sobrepasado sus capacidades. Yo solamente agregaría esto ya para, si se hace la traducción, y es que necesitamos pasar. Pues obviamente no es el mejor momento durante una crisis de, de, de una pandemia, pero necesitamos pasar de un enfoque basado en una, eh, un, una visión humanitaria a un enfoque de incorporación total al sistema de salud. Por supuesto, eso es difícil. Si quieres traducir... Eh... Oh, sorry, I had to go out and come back in, so I, I missed that. So I think we're going to have to leave that in Spanish, actually. Um... So let's go, if we can, let me go back to the questions because I'm not sure, as you can tell, we've experienced some technical difficulties, which should not be surprising in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic, um, where we're all trying to work remotely, in, including our central uh, uh, technical connection here. So we are, you know, we're not, we're not quite as anchored as we usually are in a physical space anymore. Let me repeat the, I mean, the question, Ivan, I think we have you back, and, and, and one of the questions was if you could repeat the name of the healthcare card that, that uh, was used, is being used now across the, the broader international space in Latin America and the Caribbean. Um, who has responsibility between local and national for healthcare? Um, and there was a question about, which others may want to answer as well, about what um, are the, uh, uh, what, what are ways of engaging Venezuelan healthcare doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals in the Colombian healthcare service? So, Ivan, if you are um, you want to take that person, then we'll go to Glad. Maybe Julian told it uh, already, but the responsibility is the, of the national government, and we fund the system. We have a mandatory health plan that has two ways of funding the system. The first one is people that have, uh, are capable of paying uh, give between 12 and 13 percent of their income. Uh, that's divided between the employer and the employee, but around 13% of their man, uh, monthly income to fund the system, and the, that will be around 50% of Colombians, around 23 million people. And then you have the other 23 million people that are funded by uh, taxes and other different financial uh, um, ways that are people that are not able to pay. The system is decentralized, so the national level is responsible for policy and directing the system, but then uh, governors and majors are responsible for executing what the central government uh, defines. Uh, in terms of migrants, the problem uh, relies mostly on the national government I think the President Duque has been very generous extending uh, the Colombian hand to migrants. As Christian said, they are not responsible for what, for what is happening in their country, uh, at least uh, in a way. So the government is relying all responsibility for migration health policy, though the health services are being delivered in the territories and the debts are with hospitals that are owned by the territories. So it's a very, very complex situation. 
between the national responsibility and the local uh, execution of responsibilities. Then, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if I understood the second question, Andrew, the, the one of the migrants in transit, but I'm going to go to the third one, the engagements of medical professionals from Venezuela, and maybe at the end you could uh, repeat for me the second one. Yeah. It has been very difficult because uh, the Colombian system for uh, validating uh, international uh, studies requires, uh, of course, as in many countries, most of the countries, that the uh, country of origin gives support, documental supports of studies. And Venezuela has not given that to the medical and nursery or other professionals. So uh, we have a lot of people living in Colombia. Some of them are uh, professionals. Some of them are working in an illegal manner. And many of them are waiting for clearance to work. And on the other hand, the Colombian doctors have been very, very uh, jealous about opening that opportunity. So last week, by the way, President Duque said, uh, make a statement saying that they were going to make uh, very, very fast approvals of people that were waiting for title um, clearance coming from Venezuela in order to increase the hands of doctors and nurses in Colombia. And before 24 hours, the medical associations and other different professionals were asking him not to do it and telling him that was very dangerous to do it. So, no, it's not easy to engage medical or other professionals from Venezuela. And Andrew, if you have the third question, I'll be glad to answer. Great. Thank you, Yvonne. I, I think Julian answered it already about transit. Um, let's move on. We are going to run over, and I apologize for this. We are running a little bit late because of our technical difficulties. Um, for those, we know some people need to hop off, but for those that can stay on longer, we're going to go five or ten minutes over so we can get to some of the questions. Um, and let me go to Gladys. And then whoever wants to handle it, let me ask a couple other questions, which is, you know, we can come back at the end. Anyone wants to answer this? What um, uh, One question is, what about Colombian internally displaced people? Um, what about those Colombians in Ecuador and other countries who have been displaced to other countries and for, facing the coronavirus, and we have a question also on what to recommend to U.S. policymakers um, at the moment uh, where everything is urgent in, in terms of how to support Colombia at this moment vis-a-vis -vis Venezuelan migration. So let's go, Gladys, you're, you have the next word, and then we'll go to Christian, and then if anyone else wants to dive in for the final questions. And I apologize, we're not going to get to all the questions today. So if I understood, I'm sorry, if I understood the question is, uh, who takes responsibility and how does it work at the, um, with the migrants? Yes, correct. Territory? Yes. Okay. So the, um, the, the, the charge, the, the responsibility, the highest responsibility are in the cities. Every city has to deal with uh, the migrations. Bogota uh, is, a, is a special case because uh, Alcalde Peñalosa found the resources to take care of these uh, 367,000 migrants, in which uh, they, as I said before, are divided in regular and irregular. The regular were easier to um, include into the system uh, with healthcare and, and jobs and pay taxes. 
and uh, they need and the irregular ones uh, are the challenge because they can only use emergency uh, healthcare for emergencies and they don't have formal jobs they don't have a place to live or how to eat so this is uh, the main challenge that each city um, each city has both I have a way to respond it invested 50 million dollars uh, but uh, we have 200 public schools and 800 public hospitals and we were able to deal with it in in, in somehow uh, and we know the national government helps the territories which don't have the resources that that our city has and uh, they do it with the help of the national government and with the international cooperation you need to have the will of uh, the, the major decide how much you will spend how much will you ask to the national government and how um and and how to go um go to um you know, money from the international uh cooperation we know that the crisis is the biggest need and, and the mostly the crisis is at this uh at the borders so all the cooperation has been uh, there in small cities does not have the resources of uh, like the city of, of Bogota. Thank you, Gladys. Um, Christian, ¿Algún, el efecto de, del endurecimiento de la política de Estados Unidos respecto a Venezuela, ¿cómo afecta la respuesta de Colombia con coronavirus? El margen de maniobra yeah. que tiene con las autoridades venezolanas. So the, 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 the question for Christian was really about how does the effect of U.S. policy on versus Venezuela affects Colombia. Eh, Andrew, primero resaltar que eh, la posición de Estados Unidos frente al régimen de, de Venezuela es positiva. Eh, no se puede permitir por parte del mundo que una persona eh, vulnere los derechos de millones y millones de personas. Entonces, si bien es cierto eh, el cierre económico que se, eh, que se le está dando a Venezuela, eh, el cierre, digamos, eh, la, 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 la presión de alguna manera que está viviendo Venezuela, pues es positiva porque no podemos permitir que eh, siga esa situación frente a millones y millones de personas. Ya todavía Venezuela tiene, podemos calcular, más de 25 millones de personas. Ya han salido más de 4 millones de personas en los últimos dos años y medio. Y la forma es eh, que eh, las personas que están... Eh, que están en ese país, que están vulnerando los derechos de esos de esas, de esas millones y millones de personas, pues salgan y le permitan a la democracia ingresar a, eh, a, a, a gobernar. Entonces, eh, son positivas esas medidas. No obstante, pues sí tenemos que resaltar que eh, ese cierre económico, si nos quedamos solamente en un cierre económico frente a un país de esos, pues lo único que va a generar es... Eh, eh, un mayor número de migrantes en eh, los demás países receptoras, receptores y obviamente pues Colombia es el principal país receptor. Entonces, bienvenidas esas medidas, pero tienen que ir acompañadas también de otro tipo de medidas, de un cambio de régimen en Venezuela, eh, de establecer una real democracia en Venezuela, en beneficio primero de ese país y también en segundo lugar de los países receptores de la migración. Gracias, Christian. Eh? So there's a, um, it, it is positive the U.S. response to Venezuela, says Christian, that uh, you cannot permit people to oppress their own population. 
um, in the way that has happened with the regime in Venezuela, and therefore always welcome what the U.S. is doing. But at the same time, you cannot rely only on on those method, uh, methods of, of economic pressure because um, what it will do, of, of course, is, is uh, continue to allow an outflow of people. Um, so uh, let me ask, we, ha we have three minutes left to, to be 10 minutes over time. Um, we actually have negative seven minutes left, but we have three minutes before we finish on time. Let me go back to Yvonne for one more question. Actually, two more questions, Yvonne, if I could. One is, um, is there a way of creating a special regime for Venezuelan healthcare workers, not to make Venezuelan doctors into Colombian doctors, but make them, but use them or nurses, make them registered nurses in Colombia, but use them in other kinds of, of work within the Colombian healthcare system? And secondly, what about the Colombians who have been displaced to other countries um, and uh, are affected by the coronavirus? So, Ivan, if you're still there. I think that we, we, did, we did explore different kinds of regimes to introduce Venezuelan professionals to the health system. The, the most important one was trying to move them to far apart regions where mm -hmm. there's a lack of specialists and uh, professional nurses. But again, well, and, and some um, uh, fast tracks for uh, studying their titles. But again, we had a lot of pressure from the medical associations and it was very difficult. But I think in some point, that's the way of uh, introducing them in regions where the density of doctors and nurses are very low. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's the most important uh, opportunity we have. In terms of Colombians that are uh, in other countries, I am not really aware of what they were or they are doing today. I know they were going to make a headcount around the embassies and trying to identify uh, where, they were, where they were in order to give them some aid. But I can't answer that uh, specific question at this moment. Okay, thank you. Um, Gladys, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Gladys, you had one final comment before we end. Yes, yes. Uh, I heard that people were asking about the needs, the Colombian needs. Uh, Colombia is a country of many needs. And because of the um, internal war that we have, the guerrillas uh, and, and everything, we had an internal displacement and, and migration to, to Bogota. And the message from our city and I think from all the government would be uh, uh, what our mayor, Enrique Peñalosa, used to say is, we are not leaving Bogotanos or Colombians aside. If we help one Venezuela, doesn't mean we're not helping our people. A kid in school from Venezuela does not take away um, a place for a Colombian kid. We take care of vulnerable people. We do not leave our Colombians. Uh, we try to include them in all the help that we give. And I think that's a great way to end. Um, I mean, this is, again, I, I think, as you said, Gladys, in early in your comment, there are unique challenges presented by migration in the midst of this global pandemic. Uh, migrants are often vulnerable. They often are less connected to social services, including the healthcare system. Um, border closures obviously have, a, have an uneven effect on the way uh, flows happen. And in the case of Colombia, the presence of Venezuela next door with its weak healthcare system 
you know, is something that has to be taken into account and, and prepared for. So there are unique questions around migration in the context of the coronavirus crisis. However, in the end, this comes down at the local level in our day-to-day lives to the fact that we're all vulnerable, to the fact that we live in communities where we're all exposed, where we're all trying to do our best not to expose others, and we're trying to make policy that helps equally both those who are migrants and those who aren't, those who are wealthy and those who are poor and in between uh, women and men. Um, this is something that actually brings us all together. Um, and, and the way you put it, I think, is, is very helpful. You know, at a local level, it doesn't matter whether you're Colombian or Venezuelan um, or American or Panamanian. In, the, in reality, we're all in this together. And, and may this crisis uh, lead us to think in terms of policy in that direction as well. Thank you so much for everyone who joined us. For your patience with some of our technical difficulties, we apologize again for not getting to all the questions in the end, um, and especially want to thank, if we, if we could collapse on this app, which unfortunately we can't, I know there'd be a huge round of applause for four really excellent panelists who, who went out of their way to give us their insight and their perspectives, and thank you so much to the four of you. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, Ivan, Julian, Gladys, and, and our good friend Christian, um, thank you for, for being with us today, and uh, um, we are with you in solidarity in Colombia, and, and uh, good luck. Take care.